0: how are you doing okay hold on I got to get all my stuff I'm not used to carrying a sword and a microphone at the same time it's a great thing okay so I need to ask you a question what are you no no stunning that's right you are stunning that's good and and what does it mean to be stunning becoming everything you can be and stopping the enemy in his tracks. Okay, so if last night was a wake-up call, then this morning is going to be your weapon. Like, what if you were to discover that you were in the midst of a desperate war between light and dark, between heaven and hell, between hope and hopelessness, between discouragement and courage? What if you found out as Wendell Phillips said, that Christianity is a battle and not a dream. What if you were to discover that if you are going to be brave enough to dream, then you're going to have to be brave enough to fight. I'm going to open up with a story for you. I wrote a book called Girls with Swords, How to Carry Your Cross Like a Hero. And I got to do some radio interviews, and most, most interviewers, you know, they, they actually probably don't even read your book. But this particular person was so excited. She was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to you about swords. My son spends like three days a week in a fencing studio. And she said, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the master fencing instructor at this particular studio is a female. Now, you shouldn't be surprised by that because fencing is the only sport that women are just as good as men are in. Because the sword is always customized to the bearer. And fencing requires three major things. Intuition, strategy, and endurance. If you rely on your own strength, you lose. You always have to Know what your opponent is doing, but you never play their game. You play their, your game. So anyway, he, she said, the, the lead instructor is a female, and my son had to work his way up to the level of her instructor. And he was so excited that she was going to spend some time with him. He expected her, you know, after he showed his, bust out his moves, he expected her to teach him how to disarm the enemy with just one move or maybe an incredible lunge. But instead, she watched him the whole session and she said, This is what I want you to do over the weekend. I want you to stand in your mirror and I want you to strike your on guard pose. Now, I don't know if you know what the on guard pose is, but it's basically on guard. It's when you say, I'm ready. Are you ready? And he was like, Okay, and what else? She goes, Nope, that's it. That's all you're going to do all weekend. You're going to stand in front of the mirror and you're going to say, on guard. And he was like, how stupid. I actually thought she was going to teach me something that I didn't already know. What is this on guard thing? I'm like looking at myself in a mirror, yelling on guard to my own face. This is ridiculous. And so he was a little disheartened. And he came back on Monday, and she said, okay, show me your stuff. And he struck his pose. And she said, you didn't practice. And he said, you know what? It just seemed useless. And she said, it's because you have underestimated the power of knowing what your opponent sees when they look at you. And I want you to know what the enemy sees when he looks at you. Right now, we're afraid that he sees a divided church, that he sees a powerless church. But the truth is, we cannot allow the mirror of the world to be what defines us or what shapes us there is one mirror though that can and it is found in the book of James chapter 1 verse 24 it begins to talk about that mirror of God's word and Hannah whoa this is my notes. this is what my brain looks like things falling out all of the time anyway okay that's menopause okay so anyway um <laughs> Hannah can you put it up for me we're going to do the ESV, so it's like an official version. But it talks about the dynamic of looking into and looking at. Where's my hair is black. Do you know it's not normally black? I got it colored yesterday at 8 a.m. in the morning, and they went a little dark. Okay, I'm just going to read it to you. Okay, <laughs> for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law The law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. The difference is found in two terms looks at and looks into. See, I look at magazines. I'm sure you do the same thing. You just flip through the pages, you look at the cover, and then you look at what you think is interesting on the cover. You look at the lies promises you to be bikini-ready by August. It's a lie, but we still want to believe it, you know, so we flip through the pages and we look at it. It's just a quick glance. I look at my watch, but if I'm going to look into my watch, that is going to look very different than looking at my watch. If I'm going to look into my watch, I'm going to have to have some tools to take apart my watch. And then I'm going to see how it works. I'm going to see how it functions. And we have to be a people who don't just look at the word of God, but begin to look into the word of God, because we must begin to see through the realm of the eternal, the transformational lens. It's called the eye of faith. It's to actually see what is unseen, and speak to what has yet been. We must be women who understand that what we see in front of us is all subject to change. But there is something that God wants to see on the other side. You saw that I have a motorcycle. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you something about driving a motorcycle. You never look at where you're at. You look through the turns. You always look where you're going. Because if you look down, you go down. So, you have to look to your destination, and the bike will actually turn wherever you are looking. The Word of God is the God of the faithful past and the destined future. We declare His unfailing, steadfast love, His endless mercy, His perpetual faithfulness, His miraculous, and we adopt Heaven's perspective. That is our on guard position. The word becomes our mirror, and this is crucial in our day and age. Do you know there has never been a more dangerous time to be a woman? Do you know that? Do you know not only is there sex trafficking that affects 27 million people across the face of the earth, young children and little boys, little girls, and predominantly women, but there's also something right now Called gender side. Are you familiar with that term? Gender means male or female, side means killing or murder. Gender side. Do you know they're saying between 50 and 150 million women are missing off the earth right now? You say missing, what do you mean missing? They are no more. They never gained breath. In India, perhaps a pregnant mother found out she was gonna have a daughter. And she aborted her because she didn't want to have to pay the dowry. In China, there's 40 million men without any women to marry. In countries like Pakistan, Afghanistan, many countries in Africa, if you are born a daughter, often you will be buried alive, flushed down the toilet, denied medical care, or abandoned. There is an all attack on women. But this day and age is not the first time gendercide happened. The first time gendercide happened was right before the birth of Moses. When the enemy knew that the Israelites were growing and increasing, he said, let's oppress them. But the more he oppressed them, it said, the more they increased and multiplied. So he said, all right, we're going to have to take a more decisive measure. Kill every Young baby boy born. Kill all the baby boys. He told the midwives, kill them. Kill them on the birthing stool. If it's a little girl, let them live. Next time we see that happen is with King Herod. At the birth of Jesus, the wise men come and tell him that they're going to go. They've seen it in the stars that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is born. And they're coming to seek him. And he goes, oh, come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him too. But they're warned in a dream not to go back. And so what does Herod do? it says he killed all of the boys two and under and it said there was the voice of Rachel weeping for her children who were no more i'm talking about 150 million women who are no more that underscores and boldface every moment of our life every action every choice that we make, we draw breath. We are alive. We need to live with purpose. I don't say these things to scare you. I say these things to let you know how much the daughters of earth need you to be, who God created you to be. So I'm gonna talk to you around these dynamics today. Francis Schaeffer described our day this way. He said, we are locked in a battle. This is not a friendly discussion. It is a life and death conflict between spiritual hosts of wickedness and those who claim the name of Christ. Notice it doesn't say between the Republicans and the Democrats. Notice it doesn't say between the liberals and the conservatives. It says between the spiritual hosts of wickedness and those who claim the name of Christ. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, wrote, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. This is the wonder of our day. You'd be like, wonder? That sounds like war. And war is beep. But you know what? The truth is. The war may be hell. Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, you just keep going. We are not going to camp. We are not going to whine. We keep going forward because we will win. The only time the enemy causes you to lose is when you sit down and cry and whine. But you are not daughters that whine. You are daughters who win. You are daughters who God has entrusted with his word in your mouth. And God promises to watch over his word to perform it. He doesn't promise to watch over your prayers to perform it. He doesn't promise to watch over your worries to perform it. But he does promise to watch over your, his word to perform it. So it is time we speak his word. It is time we pray his word. It is time his word becomes our mirror. It becomes our filter. It becomes what we begin to sight on. And I know that a lot of people maybe are thinking, well, you know, I remember that, that stage, that word of faith stage where people like named it and claimed it. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. We are going to need things to do things. And claiming things wasn't enough. We need to actually do things with the word of God, but we need all of it. You don't throw away part of it because we know in part, we prophesy in part, but God is beginning to bring it all together because if we are going to do things for God, he is going to give you strategies. He is going to need resource. He is going to need you to be part of it, but you need to speak forth the word of God. You don't pray for things. You pray his word. You seek his kingdom and his righteousness and he will add all the things that you have need of. The specific things he drops in your spirit. You declare it and you receive it. It's not a big deal. Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, And each man or woman stands with his face in the light of his own drawn sword, ready to do what a hero can. I'm not going to ask you to do what you can't. I'm going to ask you to do what you can and each and every one of us can do something. Some of you, that may mean writing. Some of you, that might mean you just reading the word of God. Some of that may mean you gather women together and say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I have never seen a generation of daughters so under assault as the young women 30 and under are right now. I found myself traveling and speaking, and I... I had the Holy Spirit wake me up in the middle of the night. And he said, this generation knows about the word, but they do not know the word. They know the catchphrases. They know the pithy statements. They know the Twitter feeds. And he said, they are unarmed and unprepared for what has come against them. Begin to forge some swords for them. Us older women are commanded to teach and train the younger women And so I believe that today's message, I believe this book, I believe it is a sword put in your hand. So you know why you need a sword is because there is a war. You know why you need a sword because you're not going to cut people up. You're going to set them free. We're not going to live by the violence of the sword. We're going to live by the power of one. Ancient samurais actually believed in naming their swords they would name them things like courage and victory and triumph they believed by naming a sword they attached a spirit to the sword but we don't have a sword with a spirit we have the sword of the spirit which is way more powerful than a sword with a spirit also ancient samurais had something called the way of the warrior And the way of the warrior is described as freedom without fear. If you are going to be a warrior, you must walk in freedom without fear. Because the opposite of freedom without fear is fear without freedom. And we know that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, And a sound mind. So, if God has not given you a spirit of fear, then if the areas that you feel afraid in is probably the areas that the enemy is afraid of you in. See, the truth is, you don't launch a full scale attack against something you're not afraid of. With Moses, it was the deliverer, with Jesus, it was the king. With the women now, it is the bride. The attack is against the church of Jesus Christ rising up as a bride, pure, virtuous, strong, passionate for what is important to her beloved. And so to that end, I want to talk to you about what a sword might represent. I'm going to show a picture of a sword in the ground. We're going to put it up for you. Look at that. When you look at the sword... In the ground, doesn't it look like a cross? See, I believe that the cross was God's sword with the point in the ground. It is how He once and for all ended the hostility between heaven and earth. We know that Ephesians says that with the cross, God put to death the hostility that had been between heaven and earth, all of this time. But not only was the cross the end of the hostility. Hebrews 6.13 said, When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt, putting his own reputation on the line. We're going to put up a chart of the sword for you real quick so you understand what a hilt is. The hilt is the crossbar of the sword. Think about that. Jesus on the cross, arms stretched wide to the hilt, saying, it is finished. All are welcome. I have given my all. I have held nothing back. The hilt goes on to say, when God wanted to guarantee his promise, he gave his word. What's his word? Jesus Jesus is the word made flesh. When God wanted to guarantee his promise, he gave his word. Jesus, a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change. Do you hear that? The word cannot change. The promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. I think it's amazing that the word of God is likened to a two-edged sword. And if you look at God's word and you move the s over it becomes God sword. God's word is a God sword. God is inviting you to grab hold of every promise with both hands. Not just with one finger, not just pick and choose, but to lay hold of it with both hands and run with everything you dared to hope. I have learned a long time ago that my children inherit one of two things, either God's promises or my fears. And so if I want to have the promises of God established in my family, I have to lay hold of those things with both hands. And God says that his word will not return to him void. So I don't just stop with saying, yes and amen, I speak it out loud because as I speak the word of God over my children, over my life, God makes sure that it comes back to me not empty but full. I speak it to him and he sends it back full of promise, full of hope, full of strength, full of faith, full of love. We must lay hold of all of that. See, on the cross, God leveraged all that he was for all that you could be. See, Jesus didn't just take your place on the cross. Through the cross, he gave you his. He gave you his name. He gave you his authority. He gave you his perspective In Christ you are seated in heavenly places far above all names that can be named do you know that Jesus actually doesn't even have the same name anymore he gave it to you says he has a new name in the book of revelations it's written on his thighs I guess Jesus believes in tattoos but anyway he has a new name (laughs) written on his thighs it's a secret name he didn't just say I'm gonna like lend it he gave it all nothing held back So I want to talk to you about what it might look like to carry your cross. How many of you believe that Matthew 16, 24, they're going to put it up, is basically Christianity 101? Then Jesus told his disciples, are you a disciple? So I don't think you'd be here on Friday morning with a cake hangover if you were not a disciple of Jesus. Then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Is this gender inclusive? Yeah. It says anyone, right? Anyone. Anyone. So it says if anyone. All right. Nope. Nope. Just 24. Just 24. Go back. There we go. Awesome. Just 24. Okay. All right. So we're just going to put it up there. Anyone. So now I'm going to torture people. I'm going to hop down for just a second. Here we go. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you, and I'm going to ask you a question. Um, let's see. Everybody looks away. Okay. What, what do you think it means? She's like, crap. I made eye contact. Okay. Look at me. What does it mean to carry your cross? Why are you looking at her? I, I'm asking you in the burgundy. What do you think? Um, if you don't know, say so that's fine. Okay. She said, don't know. Okay. All right. Hang on. Uh, Let me see. Okay. Pardon? Deny yourself. yourself. Okay. I think that's step one. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. But that was my answer too. So, okay. All right. What do you think it means to take up your cross? Pardon? To endure. endure. Okay. I think it means to to die to yourself and to live for Christ. Okay. Die to yourself, live for Christ. Again, I would argue that's deny yourself. Okay. You guys are smarter than the Russians. I was over in Russia, and I asked this question. I was like, what does it mean to take up your cross? And the man, like in my meeting said, my wife is my cross. And at that point, his wife took her very large elbow and smashed him in the chest. And I said, perhaps. But anyway... I know this really isn't a, let's see, it's, what, is it 9 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning? I'm in another time zone. Okay, it's almost 10. I really don't feel like this is a fair question to ask first thing in the morning. But here's the thing. When God asked me this question, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. I was just falling asleep, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, Lisa, what does it mean to carry your cross? And I said, deny yourself. And he said, deny yourself is step one. What does it mean to carry your cross? I said, lay down my life and sacrifice my will. He said again, deny yourself is a nap. What does it mean to carry your cross? At that point, I knew Miss Christian author did not have the right answer. And I (laughs) sat there in my bed and was like, crap, I don't know the answer. But that didn't stop the questions. He asked me. Where do you keep your cross, Lisa? How do you know when you're carrying it? How do you know when you've left it at home? It's an order, not an ornament. Why can't you answer me? And you know, when God asks us questions, he's usually locating. He's, it's not like he's like, well, I can't figure this out. I'm going to have to ask Lisa. Uh, he's, he's, that's not what he's doing. And so I sat up in my bed, and I said, okay, I have absolutely no idea. And he said, go get your list. And what he was referring to was earlier that day, I'm not going to jump up this way because I could flash people. I'm going to, here we go. Earlier that, aren't you guys happy that I know some modesty? Okay. Earlier that day, I had taken a poll on the most accurate polling system in the world, Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) And I had said, what one word does the cross mean to you? And Hillsong did an amazing uh, job of saying the cross equals love. And so that word came in as number one answer. But I got 36 different answers, and I, like, tallied them up, 550 responses, 36 different answers. So I was, like, tallying it up, telling it up. He said, like, go get your list. And so I, I go into John's office. Please don't tell him I was in it. I was going into John's office. I'm kind of forbidden from going in there. Um because of that kind of mess. Anyway, so I got the envelope that I'd scribbled on, climbed back into bed, began to look at my list, and realized that I really couldn't read my own handwriting. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm, I remember the majority of them, so I think I might be able to guess what these words are, but tomorrow morning I won't even remember. So I began to type out all the different words from ascending to descending order on my iPad, starting with love redemption, atonement, mercy, sacrifice, access to God. It went all the way down. Faith, hope, love. What no no one answer? No, wrong answer? Just whatever the cross meant to the person in that moment was what I was looking for. And when I typed the very last word, I heard behold the cross. Here is the listing Of the words. Don't panic. We have on our website people like start taking pictures. Okay. And so here is the words. And when I saw that, God said to me, all that the cross provided is what you carry into your everyday, ordinary world. And you do it by following me. He said, I don't want your sacrifice, Lisa. I want your obedience. I was your sacrifice. We need to understand that the death of Jesus on the cross provided all of these and possibly more. I was looking for the one word nobody gave me. It is the one found on the bottom there, weapon. Because you and I know there is no greater weapon than a life laid down. And it is time that we begin to carry our cross like a hero, not drag it around like it's a burden, hoping someday for the rapture, telling everybody they're going to hell, but begin to actually lift up the cross. It says your cross because you know what? What God has done in my life may be different than what he has done in your life. My cross is my gospel. It is my testimony. It is the word of God made flesh in my life. He came into my life as healer. He came into my life as savior. He came into my life as father. He came into my life as mercy. He came into my life and he set a captive daughter free. So he came in as freedom. So we must know what we can carry. Out into the world. But if you preach a partial gospel, you only see partial results. If you only preach Jesus as Savior after they die and not triumph in every single day life, they don't live in triumph. They live in waiting. Of course, we're all supposed to be in the spirit and the bride say come, an expectation. But we live in a way that we're going to take everybody we possibly can with us Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm kind of thinking that the cross bridged the gap between earth and heaven. And we need to see heaven invade earth through God's ambassadors, which are you and me. That means God wants you to carry your cross at Target. That means that in the checkout line, you can say things that set people free. You can be a light you can shine it everywhere. You don't have to have a pulpit. The most powerful platform you will ever stand on is your life. And so it's not what you say, it's what you live that preaches way louder than what you say. And so we must be a people who understand what this begins to look like. I'm afraid that as Christians, we have only lived part way, because a lot of times people didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian. A lot of people think Christian means a nice person who passes out tracts, disappears in the rapture, or, in case they're wrong, just dies and goes to heaven. Not sure if it's pre trip mid trip after trip but it's all about being good and then disappearing. No, that, that's actually not what Christian means. The word Christian actually means anointed one. And when you are anointed by God, you are marked by the enemy. He begins to say, I note her. See, when you got born again, you left behind a kingdom of darkness. You left behind its domain. You lived behind its culture. You lived behind the way it lived. And you stepped into a kingdom of light. And when you step into a kingdom of light, you embrace its culture. You embrace its domain. You embrace its dynamics. And one of the most incredible ways to embrace a dynamic is to learn the language. I have learned that people do not inhabit countries as much as they inhabit languages. I was with Charlotte Gamble. I know she spoke for you guys last year. I was with her for her women's conference in May. And when I would drive from where my hotel was in Leeds to where her church was in Bradford, we would go through different districts. We would go through the Farsi district. We would go through the Arabic district. We would go through the Hindi district. We would go through the Tamal district. And the people would settle in Great Britain with the people that they shared a language with. The power of speaking languages that are shared cannot be underestimated. I live with a constant fantasy. I live with a dream. That I am going to get a phone call Hannah if we've got that picture let's put it up about the things so I I don't know if you've seen these but there are quite a few olive oils and vinaigrettes and vinegars with my name on it I don't know it's not Bavir my maiden name is Toscano T-O-S-C-A-N-O you can write it down there is a, a number of them with that name on it and I keep waiting for a phone call from Catania, Sicily, and they're going to say to me, hey, you probably saw the label. You've got a villa in Sicily. You have orchards. You have vineyards. Come. We didn't know you were Lisa Toscano Bevere. We just only knew you as Lisa Bevere. Come and take part in your inheritance. I would be so excited. I would call my boys and say, see, you need to hyphenate that last name. You need to be Alexander, you know, Alexander Joshua, Toscano Bevere. I've got vineyards here. I'm not even sure if your dad's Italian. I think he's French. But anyway, we know that I am Italian, Toscano. If that phone call came, I would get in my car and I would go straight to the Apple store. Why? Why? Because I would want to buy something called Rosetta Stone. And I would begin to learn the language of my homeland. I would begin to learn Italian. I think it would be important that I knew the language of my second home. But guess what? Heaven is not the language of your second home. Heaven is the language of your eternal home. And you must begin to speak the language of your destiny so that the promises of God will meet you and your children in the future how many of you remember my fair lady okay like she was completely like a, a gutter sniper or something like that i can't remember if that's the right terminology i'm sorry if it's if it's not correct i don't i haven't watched it for years the guys won't let me watch it anyway but it's something something like you know she was raised in the street she was raised in the gutter and they changed her position in life by changing the way she spoke, a language. You can no longer just read the word of God. It says, be ye doers, not hearers only. Back then they didn't have a written version. So they read it and the people heard it. We need to be people who understand that God wants you to do the word as you walk on earth. And so this is our time. This is our season where God wants to do something amazing. You know, Paul began to talk about why this was so important. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he said, if you only look at us, if you only look at me, if you only look at John, if you only look at Pastor Rob, if you only look at Becca... If you only look at the church, you know, like so many people are so critical of the church. Well, I'm sorry. She's not done becoming everything she's going to be. But what does it say that Jesus washes us with the water of the word? Not with the criticism of the other Christians. Not with the criticisms of the world. He washes us in the water of the word. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That is to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. I'm just going to say this. If you are still looking for a sign that Jesus wants to do wonders in this earth, the cross is your sign. And you are his wonder. People will connect with you based off of your past struggles and your weaknesses and then you lead him with his strength what he has done in your life long before you were ever targeted as a woman you were chosen in Christ for signs and wonders and miracles but many of us try to operate in Christ without the holy spirit and Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us so that we can reveal Jesus to the world. I'm going to read a quote to you from William Booth. It's very profound. He was talking about the dangers. He said that his greatest fear, would that in a hundred years there would be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without christ forgiveness without repentance politics without god and heaven without hell because when you have religion without the holy spirit it will give you christianity without christ it will give you forgiveness without repentance it's all about a man-made thought process we need the holy spirit And I am on a quest to know him more, to follow him more effectively. But I want to paint a picture for you about what that looks like for me. I remember when I actually knew Christy Groves. I've known Christy Groves for uh, probably like 29 years, 28 years. We were pregnant together with our first children. But I remember we were in Dallas together. I was blonde. I know that's wrong. Any, I just, I know it was wrong. Okay. Anybody that looks like an Arab should not bleach their hair blonde. Anyway, I, I was, um, I was in Dallas. I, I, I was trying to be a Dallas woman. And so I was a blonde and, um, and I was working as a TV producer and Chrissy was working in HR for a large ministry. And I remember people would come through and they would say things like, you know, God talked to me. God said this to me. You know, I'd be like, why are you talking to so many people? Why aren't you talking to me more? I need you to talk to me more. I like, don't like this. The other people seem to be having more conversations with you than I'm having. And, you know, the Bible promises us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So he creates a hunger like he did in the lioness so that our hunger begins to exceed our hesitation. Most people are afraid to seek God and listen because they're afraid he won't speak to them. Let me tell you something. God wants to talk to you more than you want to hear from him. He is waiting for you to draw near so that he can reveal himself. And so I, I like to keep a journal because I'm, you possibly know this, ADD. So I like to keep a journal because if I don't keep a journal, my thoughts just go all over the place. And so I would keep a journal and I wrote, I said, God, I, I want you to talk to me. I want to know you, you said that my sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not hear, I need to know your voice profoundly and deeply, I had just had my first child, and when you have your first child, you begin to understand things that you didn't understand before, like I remember that even before my son could talk, I understood his cries, I'd be like, oh, that's a tired cry, that's just a fussy cry. That's a hungry cry. That's a scared cry, right? Every mom, you understand what I'm talking about. Not only would I understand what his cry was, I actually could hear my son in the nursery. Like there could be like five babies crying, and I was like, my son's crying, or my son's not crying. I, I just innately knew the sound of my son's cry. And so if I knew my son's cry, then I knew that God was going to listen to my cry. And I had a frustrated cry. I had a cry, I'm hungry for more, God. I need, I need to hear from you. And so I gave him what was my most precious thing as a new mother. What do you think that would be? Sleep. That's right. Sleep. (laughs) Sleep. I said, God, I tell you what, I will even allow you to wake me up in the night as long as you talk to me. No waking me up if you're not talking to me. But if you talk to me, I will even allow you to wake me up I kind of expected him to be like, honey, I would never do that to you. I kind of expected him to say, that was so precious, but that's like an Isaac. We'll just take that off the altar, and I'll give you a, a sheep to put in its place. <laughs> I remember that night, God woke me up, and I was like, why am I waking up? It's 2, like, 2.22. What the heck? So I went to the bathroom, as all women do, and I just went back to sleep. And then the next night, 2.22, I'm like, what is this 2.22 nonsense? And then the next night, digital clock again, they really help us hear from the Spirit, 2.22. And I was like, oh, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps God wants to talk to me. I grabbed my journal. I remember sitting on the kitchen floor. I turned on the little overhead light, and I was like, like, okay, like I was on the toilet again. I was like, okay, God, talk to me, like flinching at his presence. And he began to just tell me things like, I love you. I want to talk to you. I'm so glad you're setting this time aside. And at first I was like, I'm making this up. I'm making this up because what I want him to say. But then he started telling me things I didn't want to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I hate that. So I like wrote those things down too. Then he started making me do crazy things. Like he, we had a friend named Bonnie Cox. I don't even know if Christine knows this. And I was in the closet and he said, pray for Bonnie Cox to have a baby. I said, oh God, thank you. Bonnie Cox has a baby. And then I was walking through the offices and he said, go to Bonnie Cox's office and pray for her to have a baby. I said, absolutely not. People either get pregnant or they don't get pregnant. And I am not going to be the weird one who prayed for somebody to get pregnant and they didn't get pregnant. So then I started walking all the way around the wide part of the office so I wouldn't have to see Bonnie Cox, just making sure there'll be no Bonnie Cox eye contact with Bonnie Cox. And then finally, I knew I was being completely disobedient, so I slipped into Bonnie Cox's office. She's a very quiet person. She was an accounting person. I shut the door behind her, and I said, can I ask you a personal question? Before she could say no, I just said, do you want a baby? And she was like. And then I, I I went crazy, and I said, you will have one in your arms in the next 10 months. And then I thought, Lord Jesus, what did I just say? I went out to my car. It was like, oh, God, get Bonnie pregnant. Oh, God, open her womb. Oh, God to be a flake oh god please 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 i'm so sorry i put a time frame on that oh god what happened what happened now i was really avoiding bonnie cox it's like and then i started noticing i didn't even have to have water. she wasn't around i was like where's bonnie and they were like oh she is so sick she has like flu and she is vomiting i was like great i prefer to get pregnant And she gets the flu. It's just typical. And then a couple more weeks went by, and I'm in the cafeteria, and I see her, and she sees me, and I can't escape. I'm trying to pack up my lunch really quick to get away, and she comes walking straight to me. And she said, Lisa Bevere? I was like, crap, here it comes. She said, that day you came in my office, and you blurted out, you're going to hold a baby in your arms in the next 10 months? She said, I've been trying to get pregnant for 12 years. And she said, something leapt inside of me. And she said, I went home, attacked my husband and got (laughs) pregnant that night. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm totally out of time. I am so sorry. I've I've got to say something spiritual to end this. Okay, all right. So what might God need you to release if you begin to read his word he'll begin to hone your spirit as he begins to hone your spirit you'll begin to recognize his language and his voice how he structures sentences how he speaks in the night watches over you how many of you wake up in the morning and you hear a song singing over you that is what the holy spirit has been singing over you all night when you are sleeping you need to get up and sing the song before you Look at Facebook. You need to actually do something that will arrest what's happening in the spirit. So I want you to stand to your feet right now. So I love the word of God. Zechariah 9, 13 through 17. It talks about how the warfare is changing. It says, Judah is now my weapon. That's praise. Did you notice that last night, as we worship, something opened up? And then this morning, as we worship, something more opened up. Judah is now my weapon. The bow I'll pull, setting Ephraim as an arrow to the string. I'll wake your sons, O Zion, to counter your sons, O Greece. Zion is the mindset and the sons of God. Greece is the mindset of reasoning and the sons of earth. Says, from now on, people will be my swords. God wants to anoint you as his sword, to set captives free, to separate light from darkness, to remove hopelessness, to cut apart things that have held people back for so many years. I want you to lift up your hands right now and say, I am ready, I am ready. to be a weapon of light. Of light. I, am ready I am ready to carry my cross, carry my cross. Like, a like a hero. I'm going to carry it, carry it. With, hope with hope in my heart, love for mankind, love for mankind. Faith, for faith for the impossible. Now, I'm going to pray over you today. Face forward. Stand your ground. Lift your sword and let the enemy see that lovely face of a hero. I want you to begin to open the word of God and declare its promises. It will be the mirror in your life and it will become mirrored through your life. The word of God is active. It is alive. It is sharper. It will begin to facet things that you have tried to facet in your own strength. It will fashion your life to reflect all that god created you to be because becoming all that god created you to be is at once your best offense and defense in the spirit and everybody agrees say amen, amen. and amen okay